grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Suppose it was your birthday or that you had been along away for a good long while and you were about to enter a room filled with all of your friends, filled with all your family, ready to greet you. You know that the second that you step in that room, you're going to be the center of attention with everybody cheering on your name and getting up close to you, whether you like it or not. What would be your first reaction to all that attention being given to you? Would you be red in the face from blushing so much and trying to find a way to hide in that group of people or to deflect the attention? Or would you perhaps be gladly accepting the attention and perhaps wishing you had even more people to shout out your name? Or would you be somewhere in the middle of those two extremes that I just painted for you? Very likely your answer depends on what your attitude would be. Do you want all this attention in the first place? Do you have plans to use this attention to maybe announce something big to everyone while they're gathered or to say something else? In many ways, what you want to do beforehand affects how you respond in such situations to that attitude. In many ways, when we look at Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, we see him in a similar situation. Because once he entered Jerusalem, there were people everywhere giving him a king's welcome, shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches, taking down their robes and laying on the ground in front of him. They made sure everybody knew who had came into Jerusalem that day. And the way that Jesus responded was with a middle-of-the-road approach. He accepted the praise that he is due as the Son of God, but he wasn't necessarily asking for it or perhaps even expecting it. The reason why he took that middle-of-the-road approach is because of his attitude, his resolved state of mind that brought him to Jerusalem so he could later die on that cross to save us from our sins. And there was nothing that could stop him along the way or distract him from that. If you look at our verses this morning from Philippians, we're going to be seeing what kind of attitude Jesus had as he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, an attitude that is marked with humility and hopefulness, a humility that drove Jesus to empty himself out of everything necessary so he could serve us as he alone can, and hopeful for what the Father would do for him once his time of humble service was over, as certainly had it help and maintaining that humble attitude in serving us. But you see, this attitude of humility and hopefulness is not just what Jesus has. But as we're told in our verses from Philippians, this resolve state of mind is what we are also to have as Christians. As we have Christ's attitude within us that is both humble and hopeful. When Jesus came into our world, he did so by taking on the nature of a servant. And though he is true God by nature, he did not display that as a prize for people to gaze at. Rather, he kept his divine power and glory largely under wraps for the 33 years that he lived and called the world his home. On top of that, he, he emptied himself 
by taking on human likeness when he was born in Bethlehem's manger and looked like any regular first century Israelite man would at that time and place. As a servant, he would become obedient by doing the wills and wishes of others, even being obedient to the point of dying on a cross, which was one of the worst ways that you could ever die in history, specifically at this time, because of the physical, the religious, and the cultural stigmas attached to crucifixion. Only an incredibly humble person would do all this just to serve another person a humble attitude that we don't often find in our own world. I mean, could you imagine if the CEO of a major airline company were to decide to be just like us in getting to their destination? That instead of jumping on their private jet and dressed in picture-worthy clothes, instead they stand in line at the security, dressed in athleisure or pajamas, and they fly coach. And if there's an overbooked flight, well, they're the first to give up their seat because they don't want anyone else to go through the hassle of changing travel plans last minute. You and I would never expect anyone to do this, especially the CEO of a company. But that's what Jesus did, who showed his humble service to us by emptying himself of so much just so he could help us. This humble attitude is what you and I are also to have as we serve one another. And you and I know just how difficult it is to do that humble service. Why, we would rather display those things about us as for people to look at, those things that make us stand out, who we are, where we come from, what we have done. But when we display those truths about us, we drive a wedge between us and make it difficult to serve others who are not like us who don't have the same stories. Perhaps we find it difficult to serve others because while we may not want to be the center of attention, we don't want to be overlooked or forgotten. After all, who is it that gets the scholarships at school or the promotion at work or the companionship of a loved one? It's the person who stands out at least in some way saying, look at me and what I have done. And yet, this me-first attitude does little in helping us serve those who cannot help us or who can't use what we can offer. Or perhaps we struggle to humbly serve our neighbor because we value our personal comfort more than their need. That when the opportunity presents itself to help our neighbor in his need, instead we leave it unfulfilled because it entails personal cost to ourselves. It's hard to humbly serve one another, even in a somewhat faulty way. But one person did it perfectly, and that's Jesus, the Savior himself, who came to this world in the form of a nature despite having nothing in common with us, having to empty himself of his privilege and power as God himself, and to even pay the price of dying on a cross It is through this service that Jesus gave to us that not only does he help us, but we get to see what great benefits, what great blessings are ours because he humbly served us. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 where we hear what these benefits are because Jesus emptied himself to become just like us. Hebrews 2 where it says, Therefore, since the children share flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, also shared the same flesh and blood, so that through the death 
he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, so he could pay for the sins of the people. As a humble servant, Jesus took on human likeness so he could be under God's law to live it in our place and to die on the cross as punishment for our sins. It is by this obedience, by this self-humbling he did to himself that Jesus defeated the devil and the power of sin. And as a humble servant, he shares that with you and me so that we are victorious over the devil and our sins, that we are free from their power and their threat because of this soul truth, that you and I are forgiven of all the wrongs that we have done. That is how Jesus humbly served us. And he emptied himself to make sure that he could do it. This is the humble attitude that you and I get to have as well. As we serve our neighbor in the same way that Jesus served us. To put aside those claims of fame that you and I have so that we drive no wedges between us and the people that we try to serve. To be content to blend in with the crowd so that the tension doesn't go on us, but rather on the one that it should go on. To give up where it is wise to do so, so that we can humbly serve our neighbor in his need. And there's any number of people that you can picture to do this humble service to. Just look in your families going up and down the generations. Consider the people you see regularly at work or the clubs and organizations that you've become part of. And don't forget your fellow Christian as we encourage one another to remain on the straight and narrow path to heaven. This is how we humbly serve our neighbor with the same attitude that Christ himself had in serving us. But it's not easy to do this. And that's why it's helpful that we look at a second component of Jesus' attitude. So we may maintain this humility as we are Hopeful for God's exaltation. We use the word hope in a number of different ways. Uh, typically when we use hope, it means in the sense of something that you are eagerly desiring, but you're honestly not surprised if it doesn't come to fruition. When the Bible uses the word hope, though, it is something far better than what you and I typically do. The way the Bible uses hope is something as a sure guarantee we can put our trust in and we can be confident of and that's how we'll be using hope in the rest of our sermon this morning. You see, Jesus, when he marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he knew ahead of time what was going to happen come Good Friday and what would happen after that. And he was hopeful for how his father would exalt him. How the father would exalt Jesus by raising him from the dead and giving him a name that is above every other name. So that every living being would bow the knee in honor and confess with their tongue who Jesus truly is, the Lord himself. Whether they be the angels and believers in heaven, everybody here in this world, or the demons and the condemned in hell. Those who believe in Jesus will do all this willingly and gladly. But those who don't, well, they'll do it in shame and disgrace. In a way far worse than the loser cries out uncle in an impromptu wrestling match with their siblings. Jesus knew what was going to happen at the end of Holy Week. But that didn't make his time of humility any easier. But it surely did help him maintain that humble attitude 
over and over to serve his neighbor throughout that time. We also know from the Bible how it says that God will exalt us when we get to be in our heavenly home finally. Granted, our exaltation will be nowhere close to Jesus's with people bowing the knee and confessing our name, how great we are. That, that's not going to be that. But that's all right. We get to be in heaven and live a life without any, without any sin or any consequences, and that is quite good enough in my opinion. And is this promise, this hope of what is going to happen that can help us maintain our current humble service to one another. How many of you have used the promise of the future to help you get through the hardships of the present? Maybe it's with a certain date that you circled on your calendar or the number that you'll read on a scale or that big ticket item that you've always dreamed of having. You know that in order to reach your goal, there's going to be certain things that you have to give up to empty yourself of, whether it is the extra downtime in your schedule or the tasty yet empty calories that taste so good or the impulse to buy whatever small thing you want whenever you want it. But because you know what is coming, you can more easily go through those hardships because the day will come when those hardships will be put aside and you'll finally have what you have been waiting for all along. So it can also be with our humble attitude in serving one another. That we maintain our humility because we know that God will certainly exalt us with blessings beyond count when we get to be with him in heaven. And so this time here is to simply to serve him and thanks and joy. But as you consider your humble service to one another, what kind of attitude is driving that humility? Is it with a begrudging attitude that simply does what has been told of you as blind obedience? Is it with a resigned attitude as something you have to put up with to get to the goal that you want to get to at the end? Or is it with a attitude, an attitude that is one of fearfulness because you're afraid of what the Lord will do otherwise if you don't do what he has said. So many times we can do what looks so good with one of these less than desirable attitudes. But this is what it should be. And all we do that we have the attitude of Christ, humble and hopeful. Humble to empty ourselves of whatever we need to be and hopeful of what God will certainly do for us. So far this morning, we've been looking at Jesus as the way to demonstrate of what it looks to be both humble and hopeful, but we also look at him because he's the one that makes it happen in our own lives. In our readings, in our worship service this morning, uh, we've been hearing how Jesus' humility leads to our hope. And it is by him humbling himself to the point of dying on the cross that we have the hope of a Savior and his salvation. God graciously gives this hope of not just a Savior to us, but how he will exalt us in heaven. He gives it to you and to me, to everyone who has faith simply in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so out of love for God and out of thanks for Jesus for what he has done for us, we take this attitude and put it within our heart to be humble and hopeful. Hopeful of the eternal R&R that is going to come. Let us look at our current time as humble service to one another.
to empty ourselves of whatever need be the case that we can serve the ones that God has placed before us. Share the good news of what Jesus has done as he humbly came to the cross and service to us with those who need to know or to better know who their Savior is. To pray that they may listen with believing ears so that they too may bend the knee in honor and confess with their tongue in the joyful manner who their Lord and Savior is. So that we do all this and everything else with the attitude that Christ himself had of humility and hopefulness. Amen.